Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Ryan! This is Buddy Franklin! This is the greatest showman! Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Randall Gazzarioli. Oh, who else? McDonald. Tibble. From inside the centre square. Welcome to episode 93 of Americans Watching the Footy. This is the 21st episode of season two. It's our round eight preview. We're coming to you from South San Francisco, California. I have Benjamin Castle here alongside my older brother, Ethan. And should also mention before we really get going here that, yes, yesterday at this point, because it's early morning now here in California, I was on another live episode of A Yank on the Footy with Craig Wessels. And our friend Rick Shaibani was on there as well, along with a couple others. Another good footy discussion, touching more on some topics off the oval, because here we really zone in on what happens on the field, though. We ought to start with some news, everyone. Tasmania is official. They have received the 19th license. They will enter the league in 2028, which I'm, I think is a bit of a longer window than... GWS or Gold Coast really had. GWS was made official, I think, just in 2010. I think Gold Coast was 2007 or 8. The fact that the, that it's going to be in the works for longer hopefully means that the league will have a better idea of how to make things more competitive right away, maybe. Or just allowing the other clubs to prepare a bit more as well. I don't think expansion teams should be blessed with instant success, by the way. I also don't think they should be cursed to take the spoon for the first few years. Like, if you divide the league into quadrants, you'd want them in the third to start with, I'd say. Yeah, you'd want them to go, like, what, 7 and 16, maybe? Maybe a little better than that, I guess? Because, for example, the National Hockey League likes to do this thing now where the bigger the expansion fee you pay, the more generous pool you'll have to pick from in the expansion draft, and it's basically bribery and it's bullshit. I think teams figured it out a bit better with Seattle than they did with Vegas. Again, it still amazes me how well the Florida Panthers are doing, despite having given up the players they did in the 2017 expansion for Vegas. Still, it's basically just like you can bribe your way into building a better roster when no other, you know, no established team can do that. So I, I hope that, yeah, they don't start off as, you know, like a complete joke, but also I don't want them to be blessed with instant success. Like they should have something to build and work their way up. Sounds like they're going to have a state league team in 2025. I assume that's going to be VFL. Makes too much sense now that you've got the New South Wales reserves teams in there as well, the Queensland reserves. The stadium at Macquarie Point will have a capacity of 23,000, so right around what Heritage Bank Stadium has, and it will have a retractable roof. I know some people are opposed to that, but given the climate of Tasmania, I get it. I hope they're more keen on having the roof open for some games than they are with Marble Stadium, where it never happens. 
So this is going to be a stadium with a retractable roof and it's going to be next to the water. I guess it's going to be a small market. That's really bad. What isn't bad is that Tasmania will have father-son rights for children of 100-game Tasmanian AFL players. I assume this means the kids will be able to choose to nominate either their parents' clubs or Tasmania. For example, the Revolt kids can nominate St. Kilda or Tasmania. Now, should it be the parents' choice or the players' choice? We get into a whole argument with this. It's always been the players' choice. That's probably appropriate. They're going to have a... They're going to have a small bonus pool of a million dollars outside of the salary cap to help fund some signing bonuses. And no confirmation of whether the women's team will be there at the same time, but I feel like it kind of has to be. I would imagine they will be. It seemed That seemed to be the gist I got out of the announcements that were made today. Also, apparently Warner Brothers is like being stingy with the name Tasmanian Devil, which would be hilarious if that turns into a whole thing. I mean... The Devils would be an obvious team name. I hope they go with something more like, I don't know, something kind of like out of left field, but something that still fits. Like, Titans would be kind of basic. Is 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 there an NRL team called Titans? Yeah, yeah, the, the Gold Coast Titans. I don't follow much uh, rugby league. I'm more of a union guy when it comes to rugby. I'm more of a neither. Being at Cal meant I got into rugby union more than I would have otherwise, and uh, they're going to be playing in the national championship against Navy this weekend. Not the Navy! I'm glad that the state is excited about this as they are. I hope that this also means that state and community level footy in Tasmania will also get boosted. There was one club this year, might have been Glenorchy, that was having a hard time even fielding a team in the TFL. And so... Part of Andrew Dillon's responsibility as CEO is going to be helping grow the footy base in Tasmania. Yes, it is a footy state, but it clearly needs some boosting. It's also just a small population. By the way, I didn't realize, like, I knew Bell River was by Hobart. I did not realize Blundstone Arena is, like, right on the water. I don't think broadcasts ever point that out, which is kind of strange. Yeah, it feels like for... A place that is somewhat affected by the wind, you'd point that out more. And I think there is going to be some funding for some refurbishment of Utah Stadium as well in this government package, which is nice. I mean, who knows what will become of AFL footy at those stadiums, if that might go away, or if maybe Tasmania will get a game a year on the other side of the island. That could be an interesting thing to see. I'm just more focused on the name. Like, I hope it's something in the spirit of the Dockers in that, like, it doesn't have to be an aquatic thing, but, like, that it's a team name that isn't used by a lot of other teams, but is cool and fits. Because there are some team names. That this is where, like, a, like a name the team contest is going to be useful if they have it. Because uh, Suns and Giants were forced upon us. Because, like, some team names are either just, like, they're used in other leagues, Suns and Giants, like you said, or the name just doesn't work, like Kraken. I mean, the logo for the Seattle Kraken is badass, and the color scheme is great. I, I, I honestly, they're one of the only expansion teams that got the uniform right on the first try, but I still don't like the name. I dig the name, actually. Or Commanders. That's a problem unto its own. I might have said it on here before. Commanders is like a name because you have a football movie and you didn't get rights from the NFL. So can you now use Redskins for football movies? Ooh, South Park could prevail after all. I wonder if you could get the Bazooka Sharks. 
the Langley Falls Bazooka Sharks are a pretty successful team. What would happen if they went up against the Springfield Meltdowns? It's too bad the um, Isotopes name got taken by Albuquerque first, because I'm sure Australians would love having a team called the Isotope. I mean, Albuquerque, it was written into the episode. I, I know. I can confirm the actual Isotope Stadium has, like, Simpson stuff in it. It's awesome. Got really weird dimensions, doesn't it? Or like it's got a weird thing in center field. But the more important thing is there are green chilies on everything and they have Simpsons things. Visit New Mexico. Not sponsored. They could be sponsored. We're open to it. All right. As for the actual footy that's being played now instead of 2028 with the teams that already have nicknames, where do you see yourself in five years? Sell me this pad. <laughs> Sell me this, Sharon. By the way, if you ever go to an interview and someone tells you to sell them this pad and leave. All right. Interesting Friday night game. Carlton hosting Brisbane at Marvel. Call it the Mitch Robinson Cup. I hope he's there for it. He's been doing some commentary stuff. I believe that's been mostly up in Queensland, like stuff for for SEN or SEN. He seems to be having a blast doing it. And he played 100 for both clubs. All right. Well, this game is your typical Friday night footy. 7.50 p.m., Presumably under the roof, because the roof's never open. 5.50 a.m. on the East Coast of the United States. 2.50 a.m. here on the West Coast. I'm still trying to figure out the right way to do this, where it's like, do I sleep before and get myself up, or do I just stay up and power through it? That time slot in particular is a bitch for this. This is the only round of the season where the majority of games will be on standard U.S. TV. Five out of the nine games are slated to be on FS1 or FS2, and Friday night's game will be on FS2. The meeting between these teams last year was a pretty important one. It was at the Gabba. The Lions won by 32 points. Every goal counted, as it turned out, but Patrick Cripps' suspension didn't because he concussed Kalawachi with a bub, and that suspension was overturned because of prosecution errors. You know... It would have been really funny in hindsight if the guy who got the most Brownlow votes was ineligible to win it. When's the last time that's happened when it wasn't a tie? Because we saw it in, I think, last in like 96 when Corey McKernan was suspended. Let me just look things up here. Has it happened since McKernan? Other than uh, Joe Watson, of course, giving it back. Uh, oh, Chris Grant the next year. He would have beaten Rob Harvey by one vote in 97. I'm sorry, I just think the whole concept of that is really, really funny. Like, imagine reading all the votes out and just again and again. It's like, you know, on Survivor when someone plays the Immunity Idol and the, the votes for them don't count. The Lions have won the last three meetings and nine of 11 meetings going back to 2014. Good to see the Blues in some different jumpers for this game. It's going to be the Carlton Respects round, so they'll have the orange trim. Beautiful moments of respect. I think it's pretty clear they don't want that to happen against the Giants for obvious clash reasons. Carlton entered this game at 6th on the ladder. They're 4-2-1. Lions in 4th. They're 5-2. Here's the thing. This is, I think, a really important game for the Blues because other than Geelong, they really haven't beaten anybody. In that sense, it really is a prove-it game because... We look at Geelong and how they started the season. Hell, they lost in a downright embarrassing performance to the Suns. I can't really consider them having beaten any sides that were in real good form at the time. 
No, but Geelong did not play like ex- an explicitly bad game against Carlton, other than other than Cam Guthrie. The Lions had a chance to prove they can knock the quality team off away from the Gabba because if you run down their win so far, I mean, their best win outside of the Gabba would be what being in Canberra. I mean, I guess by default it wasn't Mount Barker. I mean, don't get me wrong; they've been great at home and they've beaten some really good teams, but there's a clear difference. Especially considering that, you know, if they want to get to the promised land, they're going to have to win some games in Victoria. I mean, they got over the curse last year. Two curses at once, really. That's true, but, like, I'm expanding this to just beat good teams outside of the GABA because they got humiliated at the Adelaide Oval, and they just didn't look very good in that loss to the Dogs. And they'll be without a couple key players in this one. Daniel Rich and Dane Zorko both got hurt against Rio, and they're both out up to three weeks. Rich has a calf injury. Zorko, it's his hamstring again because it's pretty much always his hamstring, but there are lots of options to call up to potentially replace him. Zorko's versatility means that you could go a number of different ways to replace him. Maybe Jackson Pryor gets another chance. Maybe the barometer. And the aforementioned Kalachi seems like a logical one to maybe come in in place of Rich. Would require Coleman to take on more of that role of kicking out of the defensive 50 like we've seen him do sometimes. He's capable of covering for Rich when he's playing at his best, even though it's not the role you'd normally assign him. He has had a couple of derps and, and brain farts. It's funny, as much as Australians love dirty terms if they say brain fade instead of brain fart, like... What's up with that? Like, you guys are supposed to be the ones that we learn dirty expressions from. As for Carrington, it'll be Sam Doherty's 150th game. He came back last week way sooner than anyone expected from a torn meniscus. Jesse Motlop will be back from his suspension. And Matthew always could return from a hamstring injury, but I mean, there's not a lot of reason to make a ton of changes from last week. They won by 108 for a reason. And that reason was not the guys celebrating Jai Cully's goal. That said, they had good performances at the VFL level from Jackson Bins and Lockie O'Brien. I think O'Brien's probably just, you know, a tweener fringe guy at this point. You know, someone who fills in when people are hurt. Quadruple A, as we've talked about to give the baseball term. Bins were still waiting on his debut. It's going to happen. It's going to happen at some point. As it stands, the Blues are favored by a point and a half, which is a little more than you get just for having a crack. This is where the injuries really come into play. I think the point and a half is fair. I think this game is pretty much a toss-up. I originally was tipping the Lions, but I think I'm going to tip Carlton. Before the injury list came out, I was leaning toward Brisbane, but I also think I'm going to flip this. This feels like a game that is going to be relatively close like within a couple goals by the final margin but also isn't like crazy down to the wire exciting like the outcome will be decided with a few minutes left well if you're tipping the blues who's gonna kick the goal that puts it out of reach uh probably Curnow. that's usually a safe bet jack silvani i've liked his game lately even though sometimes he's a little out of control a little chaotic i like what he does where his game has been at a point where it's like you take the bad with the good I liked it when he was kind of plastered against Cal Wilkie for an entire game and took him out of the equation. Maybe you could have him being that neutralizing sort of forward. Someone against someone like Harris Andrews or Brandon Starsvich. Got five games on Saturday again. Hefty overlaps. 
And in that first window, we got each of our teams playing. So uh, I think it's pretty clear who's going to be watching what. Ethan will have the much more entertaining game while I'll watch whatever Richmond and West Coast put up and whatever the Eagles limp into the G with. This will be a Fox Soccer Plus broadcast, and thank goodness Americans won't be subjected to this. It's a 1.45 p.m. local start in Melbourne, so 11.45 a.m. on Saturday in Western Australia. For American viewers, 11.45 p.m. Eastern, 8.45 p.m. Pacific, Friday night. These teams are a combined... <laughs> Yikes. 2-11-1. Richmond in 16th is uh, a sight. You know, I just got this thought. He said, like... It's a good thing Americans aren't going to see this. And, like, on one hand, yeah, because this probably isn't going to be a great game. But but I think it will be fun to show audiences just getting to footy. Show them a close, exciting game between two lesser teams, like that GWS-Hawthorne game. Oh, yeah, that was a, that was the seven broadcast on Sunday of, of the... Gather round. So Americans got to see that one. And, like, my idea is you show people that have never seen this sport a super exciting, really close game, and then you tell them, Oh yeah, these teams aren't even good. They're so much better. Like that that's how you get people it. I mean, I'd be down for something like what happened in round 13, 2021, where the Eagles came home by four points in front of fifty thousand in Perth. Josh Kennedy was I'll say it, he was gifted a mark on a Liam Ryan kick that clearly wasn't fifteen meters, and he snapped for the win in the final minute. That game was actually moved forward, I think, around uh because of uh protocols regarding whatever Mark McGowan wanted at that point. Last year's meetings were not nearly as fun, Ethan. Well, I'd say the first one was rough. The 109-point loss at Optus Stadium where Tom Lynch kicked 7-5. <laughs> what the fuck? 7-5, yes. It was the Eagles' worst defeat since 2008, and they tried to top that but failed to against Carlton last week. The second meeting, I remember, was better. I remember watching the second meeting from a hotel room in Michigan. There was a lot of frustration out of that because the Tigers and Eagles had the same number of set shots and Richmond won by 35. That one was 128 to 93, but like, it was a competitive football game. There was frustration after that one for me for the Eagles not finishing the job. But if, if you play a game like that that at least looks competitive... That's a step forward from where things have been, and it's like, how much can you fault the Eagles with how limited they are right now? I mean, are they even going to have 26 players available that are on AFL contracts now that Sam Petrovsky-Seaton has been suspended for a game? He had a dangerous kind of dump tackle of Alex Chincata. A dumb tackle and a dump tackle. All in one. Dumb I guess. Something weird with those sort of plosive sounds. What the fuck is plosive? It's like the, those sounds where you like kind of release air, like the P, B, K. So would they pull up guys from the already depleted waffle list? Or what do you what do you do? It's not like they're doing the top ups like last year, are they? Or would that be the option? This is why Mitch Robinson, among others, was asking about, you know, a potential loaning process, how something like that would work. Or maybe we just need more open free agency during the season. If you declare someone inactive or, if, you know, there's your list gets down to a certain number of available players, you can draw from a free agent pool. Well, here's what I'm thinking of. In baseball, guys will sign like a minor league contract with an opt-out date. 
For example, former Yankee catcher Gary Sanchez just got to his opt-out date on a minor league deal with the Giants and ended up asking for his release. So it's something like that, you know, where someone who's like in Oleg Markov's position but doesn't end up getting on the list, like, is able to ask for their release and just kind of offer themselves up to whoever. Or as Craig and Rick were talking about in the Yank on the Footy episode, we had some sort of NFL practice squad-like thing where you could take players from another club's reserves list. There are a lot of options for this, and it looks like it needs to be explored. Yeah, I think also, like, it needs to be explored not just because you expect to have situations where teams get this thin, but it gives players looking to get into a team more lifelines during the year, especially, you know, if they're early risers in the state level, or if they're guys that are just blocked at a position. Like, that's... Those are the guys that I think, like, if you want to present this to the Players Association, that's how you got to do it. You know, there are deserving players that get stuck, and this would give them another path. Richmond aren't quite at the point where they're so limited by injuries that they need top-ups. They're actually going to get a couple guys back pretty soon. Looks like Jack Graham, the original octopus, is a chance to return from his hamstring this week. Josh Gibkiss is still one to three weeks away. I really liked him, and when he's out there, it at least gives you, like, a semblance of hope for that future core. I mean, I know Tyler Young and Samson Ryan and others give it in flashes, but Gibkiss, I think there's more, like, built-up substance there. And with Robbie Teradout as well, Gibkiss's absence is even more glaring because he's a much shorter kick out of defense than Noah Balta. He's a more secure mark than Tyler Young. Those guys' errors have been really costly lately, and Richmond are still favored by 41 and a half. Like, I know the Eagles were awful last week, and I know you're very critical of the Eagles, but that seems a little high, doesn't it? 29 and a half is where I'd put it. When even the Eagles pessimist agrees, it's like, I, I might actually bet on this. I might actually do like a, a parlay this week, because there are a bunch of lines that I think look kind of whack. Well, we'll see how things get adjusted over these next couple days. Speaking of lines that look too high, Geelong favored by 29 and a half against the Crows. Like, I know the Cats have been rolling lately, but no, tip the Crows. Like, that seems... I'm not just saying that to cover. Oh no, I'm taking them to cover. I don't... Look, it's hard to bet against the Cats at home. And it's even with Sam decoding now out because he just had some facial surgery done which I guess he can't just wear a Rip Hamilton mask, which is too bad because I think he would totally play into it and have a lot of fun with it. Or we can't just like slam a door to him and he'll become handsome Sam DeConing. Other than that, we don't know about Jack Bowes. He's got that calf injury. Uh, Zach Tui could be back from his back spasms. Also, Gary Rowan is out with a low-grade hamstring strain. That's uh, some later breaking news. I think, unfortunately, you know, without DeConing just means a lot gets placed on Asava Radigaleo, who's going to have his hands full because the Crows have a really good forward line. Between Fogarty and Walker, those matchups could get Harry and Radigaleo to get too eager pretty easily. I could see him giving up mm, over-under. Radigaleo gives up three and a half free kicks inside 50. Ooh, three and a half, that's a lot. I'm going to go with the under. I think if you said two and a half... That would be, like, a really tough one to place. Yeah, I, I guess. The good news is, from my perspective, I think Geelong's forwards should have a pretty easy time. Even though 
Adelaide's defense played well last week, and I liked Nick Murray a lot. And Josh Worrell could be coming back from a hamstring injury. He played in the sample and impressed. I'd still... It's a question of, you know, do they have the bodies to match up? And Jordan Butts hasn't been in great form this year. And Worrell and Michael Lenny are too slight of frame. So in that respect, I understand why you can see Hawkins and Cameron getting big bags again. Here's something weird. Matthew Nix makes it sound like he's going to have Ben Keyes tagging... Tom Stewart? Okay, he had keys running with Nick Dacos in the first half last week. The difference is Dacos does more, like, around the ground, whereas Stewart, you know, his best skill is his work as an intercept defender. So it's like, we're going to tag a guy while we're on offense? Is that is that the plan? Yeah, I feel like, wouldn't it make more sense to tag, I don't know, Jeremy Cameron? To each their own. Nearly worked for the Crows last week. What needs to happen for the Cats to win this game is once again their speed shows up in the midfield. I don't think they're going to be able to just outmuscle them like they did Essendon. I think Adelaide has more physical bodies in the midfield to hang. Saligo, Laird, although we'll see if Laird is a go this week. He missed training on Wednesday, or maybe he's just disguising the fact that he's Joel Selwood with bigger cheekbones. I think they're going to play pretty much Everyone, Laird included, Nick said that at some point he's going to manage Sloan and Walker, but this isn't the week to do it. I think this game, the deciding factor would be, hopefully, that Max Holmes just is that piece that takes Geelong from good to absolutely fucking staff. So Max Holmes is Max Hims. Oh yeah, times. Uh, firstly, two to Fox Sports 2 for this if you're in the U.S. 12.10 a.m. Eastern, Saturday the 6th, 9.10 p.m. Pacific. Friday the 5th. For Australian audiences, it's going to be 1.40 p.m. for South Australians and 2.10 p.m. on the Pacific Seaboard. These teams come in right next to each other on the ladder, 7th and 8th, both at 4 and 3, and you got some parallels between the game the Crows played last week with their inaccuracy and what they did in round 11 at Cordenia Park last year because the Crows started no goal 6 in the first quarter and ended up losing by 42. I remember Cats were fortunate to be ahead by a bunch early, and I thought, ooh, shit, if Adelaide start kicking straight, this is going to be a problem, and then instead, Geelong just outplayed him everywhere. I like having this game at home. You like having this game at home because of how difficult the Crows are to beat on the road, even when they don't play their best, as we saw last round? Is that it? The Crows are really tough at home. The Cats are really tough at home. That's all I have to say about that. Gold Coast and Melbourne is your middle slot on Saturday, so it'll be the one and only meeting between the two sides this year. These teams have met in a lot of interesting places. Last year was a 13-point D's win at Metricon, but for some reason, a few years ago when they played, the Suns had a home game at the Gabba. This has been an Alice Springs game. This one's kind of been all over. This will be the second straight year they play at Gold Coast, though. The Suns are three and four. They're coming off back-to-back wins, but don't drink the Capri Sun just yet. They are up to thirteenth. The Demons are five and two, and they're up to second on the ladder after absolutely rolling North Melbourne last week. They could have Fred Durst level rolled them had they really wanted to, but I guess they thought ninety was enough. The D's also have the best percentage on the ladder right now because you know Collingwood they they win close games. What's Melbourne's percentage? 143.5. Geelong have the second best, then come the Saints, and then we get to Collingwood. 
Sounds about right. This will be a 4.35 p.m. local game. So here in the U.S., 11.35 p.m. Pacific on Friday, 2.35 a.m. Eastern on Saturday on Fox Sports 1. And it'll be 8.35 a.m. if you're watching from Lesotho. Okay, very important there. Yeah, I remember being satisfied with the Suns' effort in that round two game last year. The Suns only lost by 13. Tuke Miller and Christian Petraka just had dueling vote-getting games, and I think Petraka got the three. I think he had 40 disposals in that one, which meant he had at least 39 in two out of three games going back to the 2021 Grand Final. The Ds have won 10 straight head-to-head meetings with the Suns, and Melbourne could be getting both Charlie Spargo and Harrison Petty back from concussions. List pressure abound with the depth they have currently playing with the KC Demons. They took care of Box Hill this past week, and that's no small feat. Box Hill have been starting off the VFL season well. That would have been like a really fun VFL matchup to watch if you're just looking for like really good footy. I know Josh Shackey was in the lineup for the first time at AFL level last week, but he's no sure thing to stay. Simon Goodwin has said that. A Ben Brown return is on the horizon. It's not going to be easy keeping your spot on this list. I like that. For the Suns, Levi Casbolt could be recalled. He was rested again last round. And speaking of good VFL, um, the Gold Coast Suns are undefeated in the VFL. Took down Richmond last week, just like their AFL side did. And Sam Flanders returned to action with 30 disposals, so maybe it's time for him to make his season debut in the top flight. Melbourne favored by 16 and a half, and you know that isn't too crazy a margin. I'd put it a little wider, but it's... I'd definitely put it higher. It's a compliment to the Suns that the line is where it is. I'd put it in the, I don't know, more like the four goal range, maybe like 21. I'd say 22 and a half, yeah. Yeah, so I think if I'm doing a parlay... I'm looking at, God, it feels weird to think about even betting on the Eagles. Probably do it as like a, a round robin one, but like for lines, I like Eagles, Crows, Ds, spoiler alert, Dogs, maybe Swan? We'll see how banged up they end up remaining. More on all those after this break. Don't forget, as always, we are on Twitter at American Spuddy. I am on Twitter at Castle Media. I am on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. Brian Harambe, the footy cat, is currently giving himself a bath and is on Instagram at cat named Brian. We're also on YouTube at American's Footy, and I put out a short there a few hours before we recorded talking about something interesting regarding Charlie Dixon. You know what's not interesting about Charlie Dixon? This game between GWS and the Bulldogs because it doesn't have anything to do with Charlie Dixon. Yeah, I was going to say, he's not from... ACT or anything. He's from Cairns, I believe. Well, anyway, this game has nothing to do with him. It's the first of two meetings between the Giants and Dogs, who are doubling up once again this year, though it doesn't seem to be as ridiculously common as, you know, like the Giants and Blues, who seem to play each other twice every year for absolutely no reason. This is a unique double up, though, because it's an alternate site double up. Monica Oval this round, Mars Stadium round 20. This game, I believe it's going to be a 7.25 p.m. local start. I've seen 7.30 a couple places, but I've also seen, I think I saw a couple weeks ago that the start time was pushed up five minutes. I've seen, you know, I originally had seen 7.25, and now I see 7.30. So be tuned in by 7.25 Eastern. Actually tune in before that, because teams running out means big, big sound. 
Yes. So 7.30 p.m. local time, 5.30 a.m. Eastern, 2.30 a.m. Pacific. On Watch AFL and Fox Soccer Plus. I'm excited for this game because Tom Green gets to play in front of his fan club this time. There were photos from a couple weeks ago of him just, like, chilling with said club. Which I called, because how could he not? Had a really good game this past week. Really high tackler, leading the pressure in the middle, and kind of emanated from him to the rest of the Giants. He wasn't really the standout performer to me. You know, Toby stole the show. I thought Lockie Ash was good. I thought Lockie Whitfield was good. I liked Ryan Angwin. Rising star nominee Finn Callahan. Giants under this one just a game behind the dogs. They're 3-4, and four and they're up to 12th, and they've now got multiple wins over teams you expect to be finalists, whereas last year they didn't beat any, so would it be weird to say they've kind of already accomplished, like, that was their goal for the year. Beat some good team. And they've already done that. George W. Bush would say mission accomplished. Fuck yeah. Bulldogs 4-3, and three, they're up to 10th after their win over the Hawks. I like in their form lately, even though they were not at their best last week, they did enough. Bottompelli was tagged by Connor Nash. Tom Libertori was out concussed. He should be back. Really no huge injury news there as far as I can see for either of these teams, just kind of what we've had before. Josh Bruce is ahead of schedule, actually, in his rehab from his sternum and rib injuries. And for the Giants, it's still more long-term. And waiting for Jacob Ware to come back in, he's... A month and a half out, maybe. Could Phil Davis get back in this week? He is undergoing a test. So is Lockie Keefe. So is Daniel Lloyd. So maybe? There was talk that maybe he could get back in last week for that Sydney Derby. Wouldn't hurt this coming week against just the just the massive talls that the Bulldogs have. I think it will also be nice. I mean, I'm sure he's been able to help out in sort of a advisory coaching type role, but... To have him kind of assist some of the young defenders actually on the field and get some game experience with them, I think will benefit the kids. So these teams, like I said, played twice last year. Both Bulldogs wins. The first one, a 125-105 to Dogs victory where Toby Green kicked seven in the loss. Aaron Naughton kicked five for the victorious Bulldogs. The big thing that I remember from this one, though, and it's probably the same for you, Ethan, just because... Uh, just a weird and kind of awe-inspiring moment where Cody Waitman dislocated his shoulder, got it strapped up, and kept playing. He was not effective once he got back, but he played through it in a game where defenders need not apply. I might have mentioned this at the time, but he failed to fully emulate former baseball player Brandon Inge, who, by the way, just is like on my list of baseball players who would totally be down the footy because he's kind of a psycho. Like, type of guy who would literally run into a wall if you asked him to, where Inge once dislocated his shoulder, popped it back in, finished a game, came back a few weeks later and re-aggravated the injury, and then a couple innings later, knowing his season was done, was just like chucking ice cubes at teammates. So, Cody Waitman should throw ice cubes at people. That second meeting last year, the reverse fixture at Marvel Stadium couldn't have been more different because whereas it was a slugfest out at the Sydney show round, it was real grinded out, gritty defensive game that the Bulldogs won 62-57 to to keep their season alive. I don't remember much of that game at all. I don't think it had a particularly memorable finish. I also was in Cincinnati when it happened. The Bulldogs have won the last four meetings, and they're favored by nine and a half this time. They should be favored by more. 
where do you see the Giants drawing this line so close? It's not some sort of, is it some sort of Canberra advantage? Is it that people are that impressed by the Sydney Derby victory? I just don't think they have what it takes defensively to be able to hang in there. I think they can score. We've seen that. But what I thought last week when the cracks started to show in that third quarter and they got sloppy, it felt like at some point they were just bound to crack and give up goals. And I thought their best plan of attack was to kind of make it a low event game. I remember you talking about this, like slow down things so that, you know, they control the ball for longer. The Swans wouldn't have as many chances to push forward themselves. But that only works if you're playing from in front. If you're playing from behind, I feel like you got to just speed the game up and create as much havoc as possible and get super aggressive and hope your opponents miss a bunch of kicks. I mean, the Giants seem to be fine with playing that tsunami-like style. Big test for Nick Haynes and Isaac coming this week. The Giants' defensive 50 depth is really going to be tested. And if there's a spot where the Giants lose the game, I think that's going to be where it is. This should also be a good test on, like, what can their midfielders not named Tom Green do? Because they're going to be facing a really good midfield. Not named Tom Green or Steven Canelio, I'll say. Canelio's had a very strong start to the season, as has his eyebrow. The other game at that time is between Frio and Hawthorne. That's at Optus Stadium. It'll be 5.30 p.m. local time bounce on Saturday. So 7.30 p.m. on the east coast of Australia. 5.30 a.m. on the East Coast in the United States and 2.30 a.m. for us on the West Coast. And it looks like this is going to be the FS2 game instead of Dogs and Giants. Either way, one game will be on FS2. Rio enter at 2-5 after losing at the Gabba. The Hawks are down at 1-6 after putting up a pretty good fight against the Bulldogs, but being out of their depth when it mattered. It was not a bad loss, though. It was a... You know, another of those building block games and they didn't lose in particularly gut-wrenching fashion. They just, they haven't lost any admirers these past three weeks. They just, they got beat. Brio have won the last four meetings between these sides, including last year at round 13, when they won by, oh, 13. How fitting. This will also be Fremantle's Starlight Purple Haze game, where you hold up wands that look like the wands from Fairly Odd Parent. I was thinking it looked like the the Star Rod from the Kirby games or even Paper Mario for the 64. If Sean Darcy plays this game like he's expected to, because it doesn't look like he's got that much of a knee concern at all, he could end up just really looking like Jorgen von Strangle. Some years I've actually really liked their uniforms for it. This one, it looks tacky. This one is a little much. The stars should be subtle. They were subtle last year. Yeah, that's why it worked. I mean, for the Sir Doug Nichols round, of course, go all out with, with the symbolism. Oh, yeah. But for things like this, or like Carlton with the orange accents, or Richmond where they bring in the little purple accent, Essen did with the gold trim, just, like, keep it keep it clean. Yeah. Don't make it, like, a huge distraction. Make it, like, a nice element. I think this is, like, the reverse of what Frio did in the... Gather for their stealth jumpers. The starlight jumper they had last year in their win against the Giants, there was a, a star above the top V. One of the Vs was made of stars. It wasn't something that was garish. I'll say that. And we'll talk more about jumper design as these next few rounds progress because we are going to end up ranking the Sir Doug Nichols round jumpers. So far, I love Hawthorne's. Melbourne's a strong two. 
I like that they actually have a class jumper for those rounds like Frio did last year. But getting back to the game at hand here, if the Dockers were to lose this, I would say they basically have no hope of making finals considering the road ahead. And the next three weeks after this, they go to the SEG, they host Geelong, and then they go to Melbourne or Narm because it's going to be Narm and Wyala. So uh, good luck, Dockers. Good luck to Nat Fife, who could either play in the Waffle or the AFL as a sub if his plantar fascia doesn't go crazy again. Michael Frederick has a chance to return from his adductor injury, which he got while kicking a goal in the loss to the Bulldogs. They need him. I think even though he's a forward and you know the game is so midfield-based, he changes their identity. Keeping with the forwards, though, Mac Johnson's out for the next two games, suspended for a dangerous tackle of Dane Zorgo. So does Neil Erasmus come into the main 22? Does Josh Corbett get another chance, maybe? There are options, and I'm still also calling for the omission of Brennan Cox for his lackadaisical performance last round and throughout the year thus far. And yes, it's lackadaisical. Lax is how it's abbreviated, but lackadaisical. Learn something, Lee Montagna. I like most things you do. That pronunciation is not one of those things. On Hawthorne's side, no real injuries to report from last week. We've learned that Luke Bruce and Chankwith Joth will not be playing this weekend. Both have been managed, neither are traveling to Perth. That coming in from Josh Gabalich pretty recently. VFL lost to Casey, but big games from Cam McKenzie, Connor McDonald, and Lloyd Meek. I want Meek in to play his old team. You know there's going to be some beef. Something around Jager O'Meara. Here's the question. Are Frio going to forget how to play when the beef is around one of their own players? Because when they were piling it on Rory Lobb, it took up all their attention. Dockers favored by 16 and a half. That seems appropriate. Not crazy. It is in Perth, but I do want to tip Hawthorne for this one. I know it sounds crazy, but I can see it happening. These teams will also play at the G. Round 24, usually we're accustomed to Hawthorne finishing out the season in Launceston, but uh, not this year. So Frio are getting a couple trips to the G, which is good. On to Sunday, and we start off with a game at the Adelaide Oval, and daytime at the Adelaide Oval is weird, especially when it's a port game. Port usually do well in those games. They've done that the past few. I mean, still, just the atmosphere, it just doesn't feel as right, like, that's a place that should be night games. Like, afternoon games should be like Metricon or Giant Stadium. I feel like most Canberra games tend to be night games. So, I don't know. I feel like the day game should be in Victoria or maybe Queensland. And the day games at the Gabba are weird. But, like, yeah, keep the day games to the G, Marvel, Metricon. Well, something special about Port Adelaide at night. Port specifically? Yeah. You'd be fine with the crows in the daytime. Interesting. Their colors pop better in the daytime, too. I mean, look, Port's colors look good, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm so used to Port playing night games and Never Tear Us Apart looks cooler at night. That's a reason in and of itself. Never Tear Us Apart will probably be playing around 12.37 or 12.38 local time because it's a 12.40 p.m. local bounce, 1.10 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. So for American audiences... 11.10 p.m. Eastern, 8.10 p.m. Pacific, Saturday night. This will be a Fox Soccer Plus broadcast. I remember watching the Round 11 game at the Adelaide Oval between these two teams last year. 
I had it on my computer while my dad and I were watching the first Carlton versus Collingwood game. It was wet. It was rough conditions. Port won by 16. And then they really put on the hurt in round 22 at Marvel Stadium, winning by 84 in what was the death knell for Ben Rutten had it not already been sounded. Sam Palapepper had his first four-goal game in that affair. That first game, the conditions were really bad. Yeah. The fourth quarter, Port Adelaide won the fourth quarter, 4-2. Essendon had strung together four straight wins head-to-head, but Port have won the last five. And they'll be getting Todd Marshall and Tom Jonas back this week in all likelihood. Jonas will be available for his suspension, though I'm wondering if the defense looks better without him. That's something to follow this week. Marshall should be cleared from concussion protocols in time. Unfortunately, Xavier Dersma, whose dad follows us, hi Dean, is out 8-10 to 10 weeks with a PCL injury. The positive that does come out of that is that it leaves Travis Boak with more opportunities on the wing, and he looked really strong there against St. Kilda. Essendon left Alvin Davey Jr., Dyson Heppel, and Jai Menzi out this past week, although Heppel, I think, was just listed as managed. Sam Durham is now serving a one-game suspension for a dangerous tackle on Mark Blitzobs that I can't believe they didn't appeal because this was this is the softest suspension yet. This is worse than the Will Day one. That is a call. I think we were mad at Will Day's because it was two games as opposed to one. Yeah, if it was one or like the highest possible fine, sure, but that should not have been two games. This, this should not have been anything. This was... They've had some suspension and deflation when it comes to the head injuries for sure. And this one in particular is especially bad. And if you're, you know, if the logic is usually, and we disagree with it, but typically it's like if the player who's tackled got hurt, you know, they levy more of a suspension and Blitzobs is fine. So this was just really inconsistent and didn't make any sense. Port favored by 13 and a half. Seems fair. Maybe push him, put it out few more points i'd maybe put it in the 16 to 17 range but i would honestly think about putting it closer because i think essendon are gonna come out with a much better first quarter this round the question is and it's a common thread between them and a, and a few other sides you see with st kilda with frio what can they do when they're forced to move the ball out of defense more slowly oh i'm not concerned with that i think they have enough Guys that can move the ball out, Redmond, Hind, etc. I'm not concerned about who, it's more about the how and how players might lead to shorter connections in the midfield and just Essendon needing solutions in the corridor because they prioritize getting to the outside, getting to the wings so much. That's where Durham's suspension could really hurt them. See, my concern is just, can they body up to Dixon? Can they body up to Marshall? That too. Marshall's Big, though, not bulky. Charlie Dixon and Jeremy Finlayson, I think, are going to be the big matchups there. Finlayson is quietly going about his business again. These teams also play in round 16 at the G. Essendon, I always expect Essendon and Carlton to have more games at Marvel, especially against a team from outside of Victoria. It's cool that that matchup's going to be at the G. You know what's also cool? Collingwood and Sydney being at the G, because that has not happened since round nine of 2013. Was it supposed to happen in like 2021 or something? I think it was supposed to happen in 2020 because it was scheduled as a Collingwood home game at the Gabba. 
But yeah, it hasn't happened for 11 meetings. Two of those were at Stadium Australia because that was where the Swans tended to have some of their highest crowd games. Eight meetings were at the SCG, and there was that one at the Gamma also in the interim. It's going to be just the second time these two teams play at the G in a span of 15 years. I'm surprised that this matchup isn't one that doubled up, considering not just the final last year, but that the regular season meeting was Sydney snapping Collingwood's winning streak with a pretty convincing 27-point win. I remember Buddy having a good game there. He kicked three, and just the awe of anybody stopping the streak, even though the Swans were on a nice one of their own. That preliminary final, though, that was a special game. Sydney won by a single point. Callum Mills rushed to behind after a scramble by the goal line to save the game with the dying seconds. I remember Justin McInerney having to get the ball free really quickly to avoid getting pinged. McInerney was omitted last Saturday before a late change brought him back in and put Mark Sheather in as the sub for his debut. The Swans are still, you know, not at great health, but Tom Hickey is available for his season debut, and I imagine he's going to be a handy fantasy pickup for a few people this round. See, what's so funny is, you know, he's coming in likely to replace Peter Adams. I don't think it's Adams. I think it's Hayden McLean. Because Laddams was much more effective over the whole ground than McLean was, and I think he really made a case for himself to stay. I actually really liked Laddams' game last week, and I'm usually very critical of him. But then he just kind of let Harry Himmelberg get the throw-in that set up the go-ahead goal, which was kind of significant. I believe he has the lowest hit-out-to-advantage percentage of qualified Ruckman. Saw this from a a zero-hanger graphic. I think it's just around... Eight per game, whereas the highest is Mark Pittnet at over 19. Fortunately for him, he has a bunch of midfielders who can create something out of any situation. Including Chad Warner, who, along with his brother Corey, should give Tasmania the green light to be called the Devils. I forget who tweeted that, but it was funny. On Collingwood's side, we'll see about Nathan Kruger with his rib injury. I thought he had a knee thing. I think it might be both. I don't know. He's he, It's not a shoulder this time. So that's cool. Can you dislocate a rib? If so, he probably did. Nathan Murphy has his head and f- face stuff from the attempted Darcy Forward he spoiled that the league admitted, yeah, that should have been a free kick. He broke one of the most important rules. Maybe the most important. No touching of the hair or face. Also, Scott Pendlebury, we'll see if he's back from his eye injury. And Mason Cox needs one more specialist appointment before he's cleared to train again. Ruptured spleens are no joke, and we've had two with the AFL this year because we had one for a West Coast Eagle during training. Jack Williams, I believe. Collingwood are favored by 15 and a half, and with the Swans still so banged up defensively, I could even grow this out by a couple points. I still think it's got to be closer because this is Collingwood. Yeah, I guess, I mean... Honestly, in that respect, that Collingwood minus 13 and a half. Final game of the round, you know, last week it was a terrific finish to the round. This time it's a game that on paper doesn't look great. It's North Melbourne, quote, hosting. I say that because, you know, they mostly play at the same place. Hosting St. Kilda, so to speak, at Marvel. St. Kilda will be hosting North and Marvel in round 19. This one is in the 
11.40 p.m. Saturday night slot for us. If you're on the East Coast of the U.S., 2.40 a.m. on Sunday. And if you're actually in Victoria, 4.40 p.m. on Sunday. Or if you're in Tasmania or Queensland or New South Wales. These teams met in round 11 last year. St. Kilda won that game, doubling up north. They won by 53. The Saints would then lose their next three out of the bye, five of six and eight of 11 overall. So what really to talk about in this game? It's it's the Mason Wood Cup. Mason Wood has had a really strong start to the season. I think his hot start has surprised me the most out of any of the, you know, big stars of this first part of the season. Who the hell was talking about Mason Wood being this important figure for the Saints? Jack Steele, I could understand. If you had asked me about Mason Wood before the season, I would have thought like, yeah, he's solid, but not, you know, all Australian material. First few rounds, definitely so, and has kept up pretty well over the past couple weeks. The Saints will also have Jimmy Webster available again after recovering from a fractured cheekbone and straight from Ross Lyon's mouth. Jack Billings is going to be strongly considered. The Saints had a hard time entering forward 50 when they were forced to move more slowly last round, and Billings is a pretty accurate kick from half board. Unfortunately, Jack Hayes suffered a setback in his recovery. He's got like three different injuries on the same leg going from the foot up to the hamstring. I want him to be back in. I want Rowan Marshall to have a bit more support. And also, I just like Jack, 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 Jack Hayes to begin with. I don't want nearly two seasons of his career to be wasted when he's already a mature age recruit. On North side, hopefully Luke Davies-Uniak returns from that heel injury that kept him out last week because we've seen just how bad they are without him. Without him and Simkin both. Otherwise, the matchups, the, the prioritizing of defensive assignments is way too easy against North. Jack Zeebel needs to pass a test because he's got what's just listed as uh, soreness. It's as vague as upper or lower body injury for NHL teams or medium terror. I was actually going to make a comparison about that earlier and forgot, so thank you, Ethan. Charlie Coleman had surgery after that nasty fibula fracture. He also had a syndesmosis injury on the same play. There's a chance he's not totally done for the season, which would be really cool just because he's had so many injuries. Also, I believe Callum Coleman-Jones was concussed last week, so the tall depth is going to continue to be stretched for North. I mean, if they're going to keep this game close, Aiden Core is going to need to have another good game, and that's with or without Zeeble, because Core had a solid game last week, 10 marks, I believe, and looked like he belonged for the first time in a bit. He was a player who was really easy to spot doing the wrong things last year. Considering the way these last five weeks have gone for North, I'd just like to see North play a competent game. You know, it can be akin to the Carlton game where they end up getting outclassed down the stretch. They enter this one in 15th. Like I said, they're two and five. They won their first two. They've lost five straight since. St. Kilda are five and two. They're in third coming off the loss to Port Adelaide. The Saints are favored by... 37 and a half. Again, I have a hard time rationalizing a lot of lines outside the six goal range, but North have lost some touch. I'd probably put this a couple points lower, but but I get it. Unfortunately so. All right, main characters for this round as we're wrapping up here. We haven't been great with our predictions thus far. 
You got something in mind, Ethan? Uh, Pedro Adams. I feel like Collingwood Sydney's going to have drama. All right, well, that leaves Jager O'Meara open for me, and I'll take that because O'Meara had a better game last round. He was pretty self-critical looking back at what he did over the first six games, got more involved this past week, and he's going to be coming up against his former side, so I expect there to be some uh, pleasantries exchanged. Just a bit of banter. That's going to do it for this round eight preview. We're both tired, so we want to get this done with, and you guys probably want to get on with the rest of your lives. So before you do that, if you haven't already, follow this podcast so that we can gauge our numbers and also see where our listeners are coming from. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Americans Footy. Individually, I'm at BenjaminHK01 on Twitter. I'm at Castle Media. Ryan Harambe, who's sitting right next to me and is about to get some claws clipped and will probably hate it, is on Instagram at CathNameGrian. We'll see you for the round eight recap in a few days' time, unless we have just some real head scratchers with the lists to talk about ahead of that. <laughs>